Sal Berry, and Tim Parrish. This is the Puck Junk Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. I'm Sal Berry and with me is Tim Parrish. And today we're going to talk all about hockey. We're going to talk a little bit about hockey cards too in this episode because even though there always seems to be some new hockey cards or hockey card sets coming out, there's not a whole heck of a lot going on at the moment in collecting. I mean, there's always a heck of a lot going on in collecting, but it's not like a huge event yet, like Series 2 has come out, or a national convention, or something that's like overwhelmingly newsworthy. But we got some news and updates about hockey cards as well. So, Tim, how you doing? What's the latest and the greatest? Oh, uh, well, you know, what's the price for gas now? like four or something so yeah it could be worse i guess but, yeah uh, i guess it could be yeah could be you know it, it, it's funny that we live in a day and age where uh, upper deck series one packs cost more than a gallon of gas i mean who would have thought that a pack of upper deck hockey cards costs more than a gallon of gas isn't that uh, weird and messed up when you think about it it's pretty close now but other than that there's not much up other than my blood pressure that's about it ah gotcha so there was some sad news uh, over the weekend. Uh, New York Islanders legend and Hockey Hall of Fame member Mike Bossy passed away at age 65 from his battle with lung cancer. Now, Bossy announced, I think it was back in October, that he was sick, that he was battling cancer, and he stepped away from his role as a as a commentator. And you know, and then uh, I mean, we knew he was sick and then you know he passed away and you know there's something symbolic in the fact that his career ended far too soon and his life ended far too soon he was only 65 years old he played only 10 years in the nhl and then he had to retire because of back problems and then again you know 65 if you think about it now i mean is is very young considering obviously he was a big part of the Islanders. I mean, you know, even in retirement and post-retirement, he was a big part of the team and, you know, the fans loved him and everybody loved him. And, you know, he was just such a, a face and a presence for the team, not only when he was a player, but I mean, in his post-career as well. Absolutely. I mean, he's definitely one of the greats. I don't know where he ranked on the NHL's top 100, but I'm sure it was pretty high. You watch that guy play. Did he ever miss the net? I mean, I don't I don't know that if he shot the puck, he ever missed the net. I think if if he was shooting on goal, it was going in. Um, yeah. Because he had such an accurate shot, and he's probably one of the best just goal scorers that, that's ever, ever been in the NHL. So speaking of goal scoring, so I have a few of his uh, notable stats pulled up here. So Mike Bossy yeah. had nine consecutive seasons of scoring 50 or more goals which stands as a record he was selected to the first all-star team five times won three lady bing trophies as the league's most gentlemanly player won one consmite trophy as the stanley cup mvp won the calder trophy as the nhl rookie of the year and he was a big part of four stanley cup championship teams with the new york islanders so you know if back problems hadn't cut his career short he would have just added to those you know maybe the islanders would have stayed competitive a few more seasons i mean he played a few years past 
their dynasty. And by that point, that's when the Oilers dynasty really started to take off. But I mean, it was like the star that burned brightest, burned quickest. If you think about it, you play 10 years in the NHL and nine of those years, you score 50 goals. That's damn impressive. I mean, that's if he had played 20 years and he only was half as productive over those past 10 years, those first 10 years were just great enough to get him in. You know what I mean? I mean, just such such great numbers, such great, uh, you know, stats and and awards and everything. Yeah. And that's, you know, because he played in that earlier time frame, I mean, most younger generation who, you know, never really got to see him play, you know, they only know like the highlight reels and, and what they watched of him scoring goal after goal, you know, night in and night out. And it's like, if you didn't get a chance to see him play, you didn't really get a full grasp of what he had to deal with. And you talk about the back injuries and everything else that, that plagued his career. I mean, People always talk about how Mario Lemieux's career would have been had he not had the back injuries or the cancer and everything else. But, you know, Bossy was the same way. You know, I only ever got to see him play one time live. And I mean, honestly, he was out there and mucking and grinding with, you know, with, with everyone. You know, he took a ton of abuse, probably more than any other player on that Islanders team, if you can believe that considering how rugged, you know, that team was at, at times. But, you know, he was always out there getting into the dirty spots and getting slashed and smashed into the boards and late hit and everything else. I mean, there were many a times where people would try to get him to drop the gloves and, and go because everybody in the league knew how outspoken he was about fighting in the league and how he didn't think there was a place for it. And it was like, this should be, this should be a finesse type skills game rather than big brutes boxing, you know, on the ice and stuff. And so, uh, but I mean, he rolled with the punches, so to speak, and, you know, pretty much took it all in. And he wasn't that big of a guy, but he had a big frame, if, if that makes sense. He wasn't like a huge player, but his presence on the ice was just, it was big. You know, he was a solid, solid guy. But, you know, just the fact that he played through one of the toughest eras in, in all of hockey with all the fighting and the stick work and the clutching and mm-hmm. grabbing and, and all of that and managed to score like almost 600 goals in 10 years. That's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. I remember and I, I can't remember an exact year, but I I remember I want to say it was like around like 90 or 91. I remember the Hartford Whalers, I believe, were trying to find Bossy, like trying to encourage him to making a comeback. You know, he had been retired for a couple of years at that point. I mean, he was inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame in 1991. But I I remember hearing about that as a kid and just being like, oh, that'd be cool. Like, I never got to see Mike Bossy play. And I was actually... You know, I mean, there's a lot of guys that I wish I got to see play. I mean, pretty much anybody from the 70s, you know, 70s, you know, like I never got to see Phil Esposito play. I never got to see Tony Esposito play. I got to see Guy Lafleur play, but I mean, Guy Lafleur is that like one in a million type of players, you know what I mean? That, right. you know, could have kept playing and, and retired and then came back and still did pretty well. But I remember hearing about that and I was just thinking, oh, that'd be really cool if he came back. But that didn't happen. So when we were talking about coming up with, you know, what we were going to talk about and things like that, I decided mm -hmm. to go through and and look and see what my 
I would say my top five favorite Mike Bossy cards are. All right, let's hear them. Um, so I'll, I'll do these in no particular order because I don't know that I could put one ahead of another, but these would just be in my top five somewhere. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the easy pick is the 78-79 Tops or OPG card number 115, his rookie card. That item is, um, you know, obviously it's a classic. Most hockey collectors that uh, do anything with quote unquote vintage cards or with Hall of Famers, you know, this is a must have card. Mm -hmm. Um, And unfortunately, with as it seems to be with most passing athletes, prices go through the roof immediately when things like that happen. But this was a very attainable card less than a few weeks ago. Let's put it that way. And I'm sure it will be again. But yeah, if you don't have that in your collection, you should definitely add that. Probably my second favorite would be the 81-82 card, mm-hmm. number, number two. So if you look at that card, he's in a face, he's getting ready to take a face off. And just the sheer intensity, the look on his face, that is that is classic. This is a classic Mike Bossy face. Um, so I have that on my list. Um, the 79-80. Tops are OPG. I believe it's number 230 in the set. So this mm-hmm. one shows him and it has across the bar on the bottom. He was the second team all-star. Mm-hmm. But what I remember that card for is, as most people know, the 7980s had the little blurb on the back about the player. And mm-hmm. I, always, I always remember that one said something like um, – he married his high school sweetheart or something like that on the back. His childhood sweetheart. Yeah, I'm looking childhood at it now. Sweetheart. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. I knew it was something like that. But I'll, that always stuck with me. So that that would be in my top five. Um, the last two. The 86-87 card. Um, I believe it's number 90 in OPG and Tops. Mm-hmm. It's the only major release card that I know of that shows a photo of him wearing the A on his jersey. Now, a couple of the Opeachy stickers that year also had the A, but as far as any other major releases, I've never seen him with the A on his jersey, which I find interesting. You know, alternate captains weren't a big thing back then. So having the A on the sweater and just the rarity, if you look at especially the first 10 years of his cards, very rarely, if at all, you'll find that. And I believe that's the only set, uh, the tops and OPG set, where it shows the A on a sweater. Which brings me to my final one, which technically is not a hockey card. It's a baseball card. Hmm. So hearing that, you might already know where I'm going with this. The 1993 Pinnacle... I idols card of Larry Walker. So yes. Yes. Larry Walker. So there was a set in Pinnacle that year. It was also in hockey where they would do a player and they would interview the player and ask them who their sports idol was as growing up. Larry Walker's idol was Mike Bossy. And on the front of the card, kind of for the same reason I like the 86-87 card, this is, from what I know, this is the only Mike Bossy card 
unless there was something more recent that was made in like a tribute set or, or something like that. This is the only one where it shows Mike Bossy wearing the captain C in the photo. I've never seen another one like that. And you ask, what's the significant with that? Those that are listening, well, he's not the captain, nor was he ever the captain. Uh, Mike Bossy, the whole time he played for the Islanders, the captain was either Clark Gillies or Dennis Potvin. So what I found out doing some research about that one is that the only period that Bossy actually wore the C was when Potvin got injured in like February of 1987. And he was asked to wear the C for about three or four games in like mid to late March of that year. So they had three to four games where he had the C on his jersey in March in 1987. That was it. So unless you see game-worn jerseys from that time frame or that era, chances are if there's a Mike Bossy jersey with a captain C on it, it might be one of those ones where he put it on for two seconds and then took it off. <laughs> like right. they do well, for subsets. That's interesting when you see like a card where it'll show a player, but you can really pinpoint it to like two or three games where like, oh, it was that one time that the player tried out this different type of stick or this different type of helmet or right. was the captain for, you know, a month. In, in this case of Mike Bossy, you know, when Dennis Potvin was injured, Bossy was was captain for a, a handful of games. That 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 card came to mind, and I was like, "That's an interesting card because it's technically not a hockey card, but it's the only one I've ever seen where Bossy's got that C." I could be wrong on that. Like I said, there could have been something made since then in a tribute set or something showing it like that. And I'm sure one of our listeners will find it. They always do. So, right. and, and will put me in my place. But right. just from my knowledge, that's the only one I remember ever seeing. Yeah, if you look at the playoff beard variant of his 2009-10 OPG retro blank back, you'll see that he's wearing a C on his jersey or something like that. I, I don't know. Yeah, so that was my top five bossy card. And there's other great ones out there, but those are my ones that just kind of stick out to me. And, of course, I wanted to pick ones that were easily obtainable because, obviously, there's very nice jersey and autograph cards floating around out there that have been made over the years that are Really cool to have, but they're not widely attainable for everyone like the ones that I picked. So I was looking up some of these cards about 12 years ago. I wrote a career in cards about Mike Bossy, where I just basically recapped his career and I like showed uh, images of his various hockey cards. But for 81-82, what I picked for that year was I picked his super action card because even though the, the card number two in the set is pretty cool because he's doing a face off. I like the super action card because he's like actually playing in a game. I mean, well, it looks like he's playing in a game. It's very intense. He's got a very intense look on his face. He's skating and uh, pretty much all of the super action cards had some sort of game action. So that was, I'm not going to say that was one of my favorites, but that's like one that I like. And, and I always liked the 87, 88 tops and OPG card. He retired the previous year, so he didn't actually play in 87-88. So I guess one thing I like about the 87-88 card is that it has his whole career statistics on the back. I mean, they could have put now retired on the front. They didn't, which is fine. I kind of liked it when, like, players had, like, one more 
card, like when they have a, a card one year past their career and it like lists their whole career resume. I mean, now that doesn't matter so much because you have sites like HockeyDB and Hockey Reference and even NHL.com where you could get like a, a player's full statistics. But like when you were a kid and you had a player's hockey card, you know, you only knew their stats up to a certain year. And then, you know, oh, well, they were they didn't make a card of them in the next season because they were retired by then. So it's like you never got the complete the complete statistics. Do you remember those NHL guide and record books, the thick books from like the yeah. 80s and 90s? And you remember how they had the player register in the back? Um, that would list all the player yeah, stats? with all the stat, yeah, the whole stat listings, yeah. So I would keep the the old ones because what they would do is if a player – had not played in the NHL for three or more years, then they would remove his stats from the back of the book. So if the player was active, they'd always have his stats in the book. But if the player was three or more years removed from his last NHL game, he'd be dropped from that book. So there'd be times where I'd like say, oh yeah, this guy, his last game was in like 95. And then I'd like go and I'd find like my 95 record book or 96 book and then like be able to see his career statistics. Right. But it didn't keep everybody because, you know, the books just kept getting bigger and bigger until now they're not even necessary. But, you know, I do remember like just wanting those statistics and being able to reference them. So you mentioned the 87. Is that the one where it looks like he's like standing there in warm ups, doesn't have a helmet on? Yeah, and okay. I kind of like that. I mean, he's, he looks like he's kind of just kind of gliding a little bit and uh, maybe waiting for a pass during warm-up or something. Yeah, 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 no helmet. I like it. It's just a nice card. I was going to pick the, the retirement card the OPG did in 92, mm-hmm. the 92-93, like, retirement retro oh, okay, um, yeah. card of his. If you remember, it's the 78-79 design, but a different photo on yes. the front. I was going to pick that because I like the photo it used. Come to think of it, you think of a lot of these cards. A lot of them show him like in a face-off. <laughs> now that I'm thinking about it. Well, at the face-off, but yeah, it's right like thing. in the face-off circle or whatever, or near the face-off circle. It's like right as the face-off's gonna happen. So he's like down, he's got a stick down on the ice. Mm-hmm. I guess photographers just really like that pose. Anyway. So moving on, what would you like to talk about next? Do you want to talk about the NHLPA internal investigation that they released on Friday? You know, we've talked so much about, I don't know what we're the calling Black it. Hawks. We'll just say that we'll just say the, the way the Blackhawks handled the whole Kyle Beach situation. And we continue to talk about it because everybody involved just keeps dropping the ball. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's freaking crazy it's like every chance anybody gets to like maybe move forward and fix things then here comes the nhlpa and basically doubles down on the poor handling of the whole situation so i don't know a couple of things i'm going to say here the nhlpa they had an internal investigation by law firm cousin o'connor to investigate how the nhlpa handled Kyle Beach's contacting the Players Association and if there was any wrongdoing or if there was anything, if it could have been handled better, obviously it could have, but to basically to look into that, to investigate that. A couple things that I just want to throw out at the beginning here. The first thing is, is that the player reps had to vote to make this information public. And as you know, 32 teams, 32 player reps, 18 player reps voted, yeah, let's make it public. 
which means that 14 player reps voted against it, which I can't understand how 14 player reps would be like, no, let's keep this private. That's just going to make you look even shittier. Huh? Yeah, it's almost half of them. Yeah, I want to know who are the guys that said, ah, you know what? Eh, he never played for the NHL. He was just a black ace call up, but never actually skated in an NHL game. I, I mean, I'm not saying that th- that's their reasoning. I'm surprised it's not 32 and 0. That's all I'm saying. So that's the first yeah. thing that surprises me. But then the next thing that surprises me that also doesn't surprise me is that the PA was supposed to release it Friday morning, but then allegedly there was a power outage and then they couldn't get it on their web server till later in the afternoon or whatever. Okay, that's fine, but really? You know, hey, let's put you this can't information throw out an up. You excuse like that when you've already lost all credibility. Well, I don't know if the PA's lost all credibility, but uh, not like the Blackhawks. That's not even meant to be a burn. That's meant to just be like fact. I would believe the Players Association because they're supposed to have the better interest of the players in mind. Hockey teams, the interest in mind is making money. No, to make money. I, it's I a business. Agree. It is. But any you business some, that doesn't protect its employees, what do you say about that business? Like the ones that make their employees pee in bottles when they do deliveries? Uh, cough, what? cough, Amazon. Oh, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, wait, yeah, yeah, what are you yeah, talking yeah. about? Like, the, NHL on, makes, like... the NHL makes its employees pee into things, but that's just good drug testing. That's a different thing. Like I said, when we opened up this segment, they doubled down on a bad situation. They made it worse. Like, I Who didn't did? think you could make that situation worse. The PA? The, the whole presentation of this. Look, first of all, you're burying it late on a holiday weekend, like you said. Yep. But instead of that... Not even that part. You're going to bury it on a holiday weekend. Whose idea was that? Well, it sounds to me like you were trying to hide something and get it so people wouldn't notice or a lot of people wouldn't notice. Guess what? We live in a world of social media. The second you post it, it's been retweeted a thousand times. Right. Ten seconds after you posted it, it's been retweeted 5,000 times. So you're not getting away from it no matter when you do it. So if you wait until three o'clock in the afternoon Eastern time, or later on a holiday weekend and blame a power outage. Yeah. Okay. That was planned. I'm sorry. Sorry for being the skeptic. That was planned. Yeah. I think how it was. can, in my mind, how can you release that that late? And the whole gist of it, you're basically pretending that you aren't a part of the whole problem. Mm-hmm. How can the NHLPA think that this is okay? You know, 50%, almost 50% of them voted to, like, keep this quiet. Right. Well, yeah, I'd vote to keep it quiet, too, especially when you're going to do it this way. Jeez, it's ridiculous. So, you know, here's this statement that seemed, it seems completely anti-whatever was previously stood for. Because my understanding and the way I've always, you know, known things to be, from the players association standpoint is Don fair has always been the, we're all in this together, all for one, one for all three musketeers kind of thing. And this whole statement seems such a far cry from that. This is like, you know what? Nothing was handled incorrectly. It was just a miscommunication. It's nobody's fault. It was just a miscommunication. So give me a break. So 
here's the here's the quote. Here's the soundbite that they keep playing, and I, I'm gonna it's gonna mention this miscommunication. So I'm and again I'm just taking a, a section of a paragraph, not even the full quote, but just the relevant part. We cannot identify any individual wrongdoing or institutional failures of policy or procedure by either Donald Fair, NHLPA personnel, or the SABH program concerning the handling of Kyle Beach's reports. Beach's warnings about Brad Aldrich were not addressed on account of miscommunication and misunderstanding rather than any individual or systemic failure. Now, I don't know about that misunderstanding or miscommunication part because it seems like a little bit of he said, he said sort of things. Now, I read the document this morning. I reread it again and I took notes on it this time. And so I'm going to just basically boil it down to a few bullet points because it's less than 20 pages. It's not difficult reading. The only thing that trips me up is that there's names that are mentioned once and then mentioned again. And then you just see the last name and you go, wait, who's that person? So, okay, we know who Kyle Beach is. And his agent at the time is a guy named Ross Gurney. Then there's Black Ace number one, which would have been Beach's teammate with the Rockford Ice Hogs. And Black Ace number one's agent, Joe Resnick. So Beach and Black Ace One did not participate in the NHLPA investigation. So they were not interviewed for this. So the interviews were with Fair, with Ross Gurney, with Joe Resnick, and then another guy named Dr. Brian Shaw, who's the head of the NHLPA's Substance Abuse and Behavioral Health Program. So these are the people who are spoken to. I mean, there were other people interviewed also, but these are the names that pop up the most in the report. So the crux of it is, is that Beach heard that Brad Aldrich was working for Team USA. And so he contacted the Players Association and said, uh, or rather his agent contacted the Players Association and said, hey, this Aldrich guy did this to me. Somebody at USA Hockey should know about this and not have them working for USA Hockey. Black Ace number one's agent also contacted the NHLPA and said the same thing. Now, here's the paper trail, and I'll just lay these points out for you, and then and I know you got a lot to say, but basically here's here's how it went down. So Resnick and Gurney, them both being agents, uh, spoke to each other about Brad Aldrich at some point because they had spoken to their clients, Black Ace number one and Kyle Beach. Resnick, who is the agent for Black Ace one, emailed NHLPA executive director Donald Fair on April 18th at 12.04 p.m. Now, Fair had just taken over the job a couple months earlier, I think uh, end of December, December uh, 2010. So anyways, so he emailed Fair. Fair called him back a couple hours later, and they spoke on the phone for about 14 minutes. So Fair called Resnick, and then he made a note. There was like documentation that he made a note to call Gurney, who was Beach's agent. And then three calls were made to Gurney, one on April 20th for four minutes and 42 seconds, one on April 21st for 36 seconds, and one on April 21st for a minute and 30 seconds. We don't know if Fair had made the call because all outgoing calls from the NHLPA office just show up as their main number and not like individual extensions. And then both Beach and Black Ace One contacted Dr. Brian Shaw 
about Aldrich. Gurney claims that when he spoke with Fair, that he used the words pedophile or sexual predator when describing Brad Aldrich. Like, you need to know about this guy. Fair doesn't recall the conversation. He doesn't deny that there was a conversation because they showed him the phone record and said, see here, you spoke with him for 14 minutes on this day. So he doesn't deny that. But he says that he doesn't remember the conversation or these words being used. He claims that if this was the case and he needed to contact USA Hockey, he would have asked more details. Like he wouldn't have said, okay, this is what your player told me. Okay, cool. I'll tell USA Hockey. He claims if I had heard these words, I would have asked more questions because he's a lawyer. So he's not going to just take what you said that somebody else said. He's going to go to the root and find out himself or at least ask more questions. Bottom line, no one told USA Hockey about Aldrich, who was working as a video coordinator for Team USA at the IIHF World Women's Under-18 Championship in January of 2011. So he was a video coordinator for that one tournament and that was it but nobody told USA Hockey about this this Dr. Shaw had told both Black Ace One and Kyle Beach that you know we'll look into it or we'll take care of it and that didn't happen and then there were these phone conversations that the parties can't agree on and then these other conversations which we can't really determine what they were about I mean they could have just been calls to these guys because they're player agents or they could have been calls about this but pretty short you know four minutes two minutes and another one was 30 seconds anyway that's kind of the summary of it so that's why the investigation said that it was a miscommunication meaning that whatever message needed to be conveyed to the nhlpa head donald fair wasn't I guess, communicated well enough, or there was a misunderstanding about what was said and what was meant. Um, I'm not I'm not necessarily buying that, but that's how I'm interpreting this document. Like I said, he's a lawyer. So you can't possibly for one second think that this investigation uncovered a conversation that took place where one side says, hey, pay attention. This guy's a pedophile. This guy's raping people. This guy's molesting people. You better tell USA Hockey. Oh, I don't recall that conversation. I don't recall the substance of that. Of course, that's what attorneys do. Attorneys find in no ways to say things to not implicate anybody involved and try to stay impartial throughout Mm -hmm. the whole thing. Why do you think the Mm -hmm. most common phrase to answer a question that attorneys say is, well, yes and no, because that's how every attorney answers every question. Because there's always a yes and there's always a no, and they can figure out ways to argue either side. Because that's what good attorneys do. The problem is, I don't know that Donald Fair was ever a good attorney, to be honest Mm. with you. I mean, it seemed like he had players' backs for the longest time and had their best interests and knew what everybody stood for and everybody was on the same page. I don't understand how any player at this point in time cannot feel dirty about this whole entire decision. I mean, really. When all said and done, Fair has to go, right? He has to. Right. He has to go. There's no way he can stay employed as the head of the NHLPA. There's no way. Because I can't imagine there's going to be any trust going forward under any circumstance. There, there can't be. Think about it. You're a young player coming into the NHL, right? How can you trust that the union that you have to join has your best interest at heart? 
Mm-hmm. How can you? Something happens to you and you go to your union rep, you go to the NHLPA and you say, hey, this happened. What? This what happened? Uh, Can you put it in a five page document that we can stick right in our shredder? Because uh, it's just going to be a miscommunication. Yeah, I'm oversimplifying it. And an investigation did take place, supposedly. And that's what this report is, is laying out. But come on. Everybody's trying to save face in this, and the NHLPA is trying to wash their hands of an already bad situation and distance themselves from the organizational problems of the Blackhawks that they got drug into, and they're trying to save face. The problem is this ain't it. This ain't it. I'm sorry. It's not. That's, I mean, that's, that's my opinion. I don't know what else I can possibly say about it. They dropped the ball on this big time. From the time they chose to release it, the, from the wording that they put in it, and from exonerating themselves of all wrongdoing by mm-hmm. simply saying, oh, it's a miscommunication. Right. Okay. Okay. It's like saying, I'm thirsty, and you hand me a bag of sand. Oh, I, I, it's a misunderstanding. No, if you, were, uh, if you were thirsty, I would hand you a bag of salt and vinegar potato chips. Great. My other favorite. The only so thing worse than I, that is the Canadian ketchup chips. Yeah, I no, don't think no. they, Some people like them, and I'm not here to start crap, and you can like them, and that's fine. But I think I like ketchup. I don't like those chips. Mm-hmm. So I want to just point out one other thing really interesting that I didn't think about. Um, I read this great article. There's a Blackhawks and Rockford Icehogs, I guess, blog, you could call it called The Third Man In, and this was written by a guy named Chris Block. I thought this was really interesting. This isn't new information, but he pointed out something that I didn't really make that connection before. And what he pointed out to me was that the timing of something that happened in Kyle Beach's career. And, you know, it's like one of those things that when you hear somebody else say it, you go, it's so obvious. How did I not see that? But that's sometimes what you need. You need you need a good writer to just basically lay it out for you in really plain or, or just point out something. And this is something that I think flew under a lot of people's radar. Kyle Beach was assigned to play for a Swedish team for seven games back in 2013. Now, I remember when that happened. I remember him being assigned to play in Sweden. And when I saw that, I thought, okay. This guy's not a good culture fit on the Ice Hogs. He's not going to play for the Blackhawks. They're just basically getting rid of him at this point. Like, of course, I didn't know any of this, what had happened, right? But what had happened was that after Brad Aldrich was being investigated by Michigan police for sexually assaulting a minor, the police from Michigan, I think it was Houghton, Michigan or something like that, contacted the Blackhawks. The Blackhawks then got Kyle Beach the heck out of the country. They assigned him to a team in Sweden and waited until that blew over. And then they brought him back and then reassigned him to Rockford. I'm just going to read this timeline really quick. Okay, July 17th, 2013, Blackhawks resigned Kyle Beach to a one-year contract. So at that point, they could have let him go. He could have been, if they didn't tender him an offer, he would have been an unrestricted free agent. They tender him an offer. 
to keep him on the payroll for another year. September 2013, Beach tests fifth best in Blackhawk pre-training camp physical conditioning. So he's one of the best conditioned players. September 20th, Beach plays in a preseason game, gets into a fight with Tom Wilson. I know that would make you happy. Monday, September 23rd, John Doe number two, that's the kid, the child, reports sexual assault claim to Houghton, Michigan police. The assault took place in March of 2013 when the victim was 16 years old, which is heart-wrenching. So Monday, September 23rd, the police are notified that this happened. Tuesday, September 24th, Beach is sent down to the minors. Then later in that week, the police contact the Blackhawks. That Friday, late this Friday night, Beach learns that the Blackhawks are loaning him to HV71 Club in Swedish Tops Pro League. Per Beach, he books his own flight at 2 a.m. in the morning on Saturday. Saturday, September 28th, Beach flies out of Chicago to Sweden at 10 p.m. Sunday, Blackhawks release a statement announcing Beach has been loaned to HV71. So they announced that news on Sunday, but of course, Beach got reassigned, I thought. I'm like, wow, that's weird. Why are they assigning their former first-round pick to Sweden? So I'm thinking... He's not fitting in with his IceHogs teammates. The Blackhawks don't have any future plans for him. So now they're just moving him. They're just moving him, just getting him out of here. You've seen that happen before where you have a guy who just isn't a good culture fit. And then they just, they loan him to a different team just to, just to get rid of him. So that's what they did. And then, you know, they raised their Stanley Cup banner on October 1st for the 2013 season. Wednesday, October 2nd, Aldrich is arrested by Houghton, Michigan Police Department. Friday, October 18th, Aldrich appears in courts. October 25th, HV71 releases Beach from his tryout agreement. Blackhawks reassign Beach to the AHL Rockford Icehogs. He plays with the team. He gets scratched for some games, which I'll get into that for another reason. But it was basically, I guess he wasn't fitting in. And he said something on a podcast that the coach didn't like. So he benched him for a bunch of games. And then let's see here. Uh, when did they trade him? Oh, yeah, December 6th. So then he was traded December 6th to the New York Rangers for Brandon Machinster. And the Rangers assigned Beach to the Wolf Pack. He plays out the rest of the season. And then that's the end of his North American career. So I know I just kind of did a long-winded retelling of this. But what really, really, really upsets me about this is that I don't know if they knew something was up. But they signed Beach to a one-year extension. So they had control of his career. If they cut him, if they just didn't sign him to a contract, he could have maybe signed with another team, maybe, you know, had a tryout with, you know, any other NHL team because he is a former first-round pick, you know. So somebody might be interested and say, okay, come to our training camp, you know, do a tryout, play a preseason game, whatever, right? They keep him around. Once the police start sniffing around about Aldrich, the Blackhawks human resources person told the police, I'm not going to tell you anything. If you subpoena us or issue a search warrant, we'll cooperate, but we're not going to tell you anything, basically. Like, we don't have to tell you anything unless you do what you're legally supposed to do, and then we'll do what we're legally supposed to do. So they weren't going to be very forthcoming with any information about Aldrich to make the police's investigation any easier. And then they got the one guy that could point a finger at him 
out of the country. I am disgusted by this. I am so disgusted by this. And Tim, I got to tell you something. I've watched some horrible Blackhawk teams, and I've always found a reason to like them. But when you don't like the people at the top, it's hard to like the people at the bottom. I mean, I like a lot of their players, but I'm struggling to want to follow this team anymore. I think next year I'm just going to pick another team, and I'm going to just make that the team that I watch for 82 games and not when the Blackhawks aren't playing because I am just so fucking upset by this it just it just makes me so mad that they would do that that they would just they would just fuck with this guy's career and just throw him around and 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 just covering their own ass is what they were doing they were covering their own ass you know and this could have been a witness that could have helped in that child's case and that's the whole reason why beach came forward later on when he found out about this and he felt horrible because he Wish he had done more because then he could have stopped this from happening. That's the thing. The way you say it, you know, you don't like the people at the top. It makes it hard to like the people at the bottom. And, you know, I don't fault the players that play for the team Uh necessarily. Especially now, I mean, if you look at the makeup of the team, how many of those guys were actually there then? You know, not – I don't imagine many. Um, You know, there was was question on whether, you know – Things were brought out to to Kane or Taze. Maybe they were, maybe they weren't. But it's an organizational thing, and it's the way the thing is set up. You're right, from the top. And, yeah, it's a difficult situation to be in. I think your fandom runs deeper than just being able to say, you know what, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. Because, again, you're a fan of the team, the team team. Not necessarily a fan of the owners in the owner's box and the president of the company and this and that and the other. You're a fan of the employees, not of management. Right. In the 90s, it was, you know, we could make fun of Bill Wirtz. We could make fun of Bob Pulford. We could make fun of Mike Keenan or Daryl Sutter or Elpo Suhonen, great name, by the way. You know, we could make fun of these people. And there was like this underground program called the Blue Line that would lampoon Blackhawks management and we liked the team. We could get excited about, you know what? We got Ronick, we got Chelios, we got Belfour, we got Steve Smith, we got Tony Amante, we got Gary Suter. We have so many reasons to be excited about this team that we could watch it. You know, we could watch the team and, and say, well, screw management. They they suck. They're terrible, but we like the team. But I think also we didn't really have a choice. Now I can watch any team I want. I got center ice. I can watch all 82 Florida Panther games, and I think I might next year. Or Colorado Avalanche, or San Jose Sharks, or Vancouver Canucks, or Pittsburgh Penguins. Not that I'm going to be a Penguins fan anytime soon, at least not during their 30th anniversary year of beating the Blackhawks in the 92 finals. But what I'm saying is is that I I have more options now. You know, 30 years ago, you watched the local team because they were on TV. Or in my case, I watched every other game because Blackhawk home games were blacked out, which is why, actually, I watched a lot of Islander games in the 90s because they would show a ton of Islander games on Sports Channel. So, I mean, yeah, I used to watch Jigs McDonald and Ed Westfall calling the Islanders games, and then you had Stan Fischler during intermission doing the intermission report. I mean, I could see myself getting into that again, you know, just like picking a team and saying, yeah, you know what? Screw the Chicago team. They're just horrible. And then Rocky Wirtz saying that it's none of your business. You don't work for the team. 
and all that stuff. Yeah, we did spend a lot of time. And you know what? Dude, we took a hiatus. We were not podcasting for about two or three weeks around the time the whole Kyle Beach thing happened. And yet we're still talking a lot about the Blackhawks because they keep shitting themselves. Yeah, like I said, that's how I preface this whole conversation. It's like it keeps coming up. It's the thing that won't go away. And until until the fundamental ideals behind it change, it's going to keep happening. You know, even though this particular portion of it didn't have anything to do with the Blackhawks, mm-hmm. it's just another you know, long line of things where it seems like we know we screwed up and we screwed up so bad that we need to do everything in our power to just make it all go away and pretend like it never happened. And this is just another another step in that. But I feel your pain as a fan. It's one thing when your team sucks and they lose or they disappoint you. That's one pain. Sure. When they disappoint you by losing the championship game or not making the playoffs or trading your favorite player, right? No, I got you. This is totally different. This is a moral thing. Yeah. This is a human thing. You know, yeah. Treat people like you want to be treated and don't act like a jackass. It's pretty much the words of wisdom that were passed down to me. And I, I don't know. I think everybody has failed here. But big picture, Blackhawks are working on their problems and trying to move forward and everything else. I, I don't see how the NHLPA goes on much longer with Don Fair in charge, especially after no. this. So I want to bring up Pat Foley really quick just so that we can get the Blackhawks behind us because I do have to acknowledge the fact that the longtime play-by-play voice of the Blackhawks called his final game last week. Fortunately, it was a win for the Blackhawks, so we got to shout, Hawks win, Hawks win, in that famous Pat Foley voice one last time. So Foley joined the team in 80-81. He was their play-by-play voice until 0506. Then, controversially, he was fired by the team who wanted to go in a new direction. And this is kind of like when the Blackhawks were like at the apex of their suckitude. I mean, this was like maybe a year or two after ESPN published that article ranking the best to worst major league franchises. Do you remember that? Uh, no, I don't. But I, I will say you need to copyright that phrase. That needs to go on a t-shirt. Apex the of a- suckitude? The apex of suckitude. <laughs> uh, I'm pretty sure there needs to be t-shirts that say that. Yeah, but I don't want to book jump. That. The I apex would... of suckitude. Or the apex of awesomeness. Uh, the apex of awesome. That's just, just funny. Um, there's an ESPN article that ranked the best to worst pro franchises. And of course, at the top of the list was like the New York Yankees, you know, because they're worth this much and they've done this, they've done that. And then at the very bottom of the list, like number 140, this is out of like, if you take all the MLB, NFL, NBA, and NHL teams, and the Blackhawks were dead last on the list. Basically, for the paragraph that was supposed to be about the Blackhawks, it explained why they were such a terrible team. But then it also went on to say, but, you know, there is another hockey team in Chicago, and they're actually pretty good. They're the Chicago Wolves. Unfortunately, though, they're a minor league team. So we can't really talk about them for this article. But then again, the Blackhawks are a minor league team also, dissing them, right? So it was just like they were not a good team. And then a couple of years later, they fired their play-by-play voice that we all loved. And 
What was interesting about that, though, is that Foley is from the Chicago area. He stayed in Chicago and he, he ended up working for the Chicago Wolves, which was just like a total coup that this minor league team was just like, oh, my God, you're Pat Foley. You've been with the Blackhawks for 25 years. Come work for us. Don't move to another city. Stay in Chicago. And Foley called minor league games for two years and made the games that much better. And then when Rocky Wirtz inherited the team, one of the things he did was he got Pat Foley to come back. And he did then from 08 09 to the end of this season. You know, originally it looked like the team was trying to force Foley out because they announced it on Twitter last uh, last season. Of course, Foley's not really on Twitter, so it's not like he was going to announce it himself. But it kind of seemed like the team was kind of like wanting to do this change in direction. Like, let's get somebody younger and hipper to call the games. But Foley also said that it was, you know, he knew it was time to retire. That at his age, he just wasn't into the travel as much. And I think a lot of people, I think because of the pandemic, a lot of people who were traveling for work a lot didn't think about it. And then when it was like, okay, stay home and call the games from a TV screen, Kind of like we all did our work at home from Zoom and then we start commuting again and go, you know, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. So anyways, I obviously longtime Blackhawk fan. I mean, I became a Blackhawk fan in 89. So I remember Foley forever. I mean, he was the only play-by-play voice I knew for the team, except for the two years that it wasn't him. You know, the one thing I will say, he didn't have a lot of great catchphrases like our boy from Pittsburgh. Mike Lang. Lang, thank you. He didn't have the catchphrases that Mike Lang had, but Foley had a way of just, he'd get excited and you'd get excited, um, you know, whether it was his calls like, Bannerman, or Miami says no, or whatever, right? Like whatever call he made. But the other thing that I liked about him is that, I don't know, he just, he was accessible. He was easy to listen to as a play-by-play voice. He and Dale Talon had the best rapport, I think, of any two guys. I mean, any any two broadcaster and play-by-play, except for maybe you and me, maybe we got a better rapport than they did, but damn, they were good. I mean, the two of them would just joke around. They were always on the same wavelength, although Olchek and Foley did really well together, too. They're also kind of on that same wavelength. And you know, the other thing that I liked about Pat Foley is that he was a little bit of a homer, as most home team announcers are. But he wasn't to a sickening degree. And if one of the Blackhawks did something stupid, he would have no problem saying, and that was Dave Manson with a stupid, selfish penalty. And he would say it like that. If the Blackhawk did something wrong, he would put it out there. He'd say, yeah, he instigated that fight. Or sure, you can plead your case, but that was tripping. You know what I mean? Like he'd call it like he'd see it and he'd tell the truth. He wouldn't say like, oh, well, you know, looks like, They fought to a draw on that fight. You know, he'd say, unfortunately, so-and-so of the other team got the better of our guy. Like, he'd be truthful on that. And if one of our guys did something boneheaded, he would say that as well. He wasn't like a super homer, if that makes sense. Super homer? I can't think of anybody in the league like that. Jack Edwards. Excuse me. What team? Boston? No, I didn't say that. Like, when I think of super homers, I think of the Flyers and I think of the Capitals. Yeah... Yeah, the flyer. Yeah, I could see that. Although Keith Jones is on there and he tries to stay middle of the road for the most part, but hilariously coughed Jack Edwards out of my mouth. And I don't know what team he's for. So just uh, that would be the Boston Bruins. Yeah, I figured. Okay. I can listen to most other teams broadcasts, but I cannot listen to Boston. I, I just can't. 
I can't do it. It kills me. It absolutely yeah. kills me. Yeah. And I get it. You're trying to appeal to your fan base because that's who's listening. I get it. Totally get it. But you have to be aware of the fact that we're now in a world where you have simultaneous broadcasts. And right. Especially if you get picked up as a national game that's going to be broadcast on other networks. Ugh. It's brutal. It's brutal. But anyway. No, I mean, I get anyway, it. Who's it. So who's his replacement? Chris Foster's. He's from Chicago. This season, they had a, they had like a revolving door of play-by-play guys kind of yeah. auditioning for the job. Foster's wasn't my first choice, but I guess at this point, I wouldn't really care because anybody you get to replace a guy like that, I mean, you know, other than maybe Doc Emmerich or Gary Thorne stepping in, you know what I mean? And obviously it's not going to be neither of those guys, but like, unless you get like a legend replacing another legend, that's not going to happen. So that's fine. Eventually you gotta, you gotta hire new people for stuff. And I I get that as well, but I don't know. I mean, maybe this is just a clean break that I need because if I listen to a Blackhawks game next year or watch it, it's not even going to sound like a Blackhawks game. You know what I mean? Yeah. So Foley went out a few games ago. Yep. With like f- still four games left. So why did he? Why did he go out earlier than the season's end? Was it to Probably. give the new guy a chance to come in and get his feet wet, or what? See, this what is what doesn't make sense to me because I didn't get it either because it said his contract was up at the end of the season. Right. But here's still four games left in the season. Well, eight games, but four home games. Right. That's why I didn't understand if there was something else going on or what. I didn't know if you knew that or not. I don't know, man. Everything. It's, it's not like the Blackhawks are the most transparent organization. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I that's mean, for sure. You know, I mean, during their town hall, when somebody asked about Pat Foley, they said up front, we didn't tell him to retire. He said that he wanted to retire. And, you know, we've been bringing in new play-by-play announcers this year to give them a shot and see how they do. Yeah. Anyway, so congrats to Pat Foley. Thank you for the many happy memories. And also funny that the Blackhawks never made a hockey card of him. His only hockey card was with the Chicago Wolves. Go figure. Heck, the Blackhawks even made a hockey card of Vladislav Tretiak when he was their goaltending coach, which I can understand, you know, an excuse to make a Vladislav Tretiak hockey card is is fine, but your own play-by-play voice for like 40 years Never once included in any of the team issue sets. Seems to be kind of an oversight and surprising that he was never in any of the, like, voices of the game Panini sets that uh, I know you've collected over the years. Did the Blackhawks ever put out anything that had staff of that ilk on cards? Back in the 70s, they put out these postcards, and I actually have a postcard you remember when we did that show for the, the virtual expo and I showed that card of the two trainers? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, every now and then they'd like make a postcard of like the trainers. And then in the 80s, when they would do their team sets, they would do like the coaches and the assistant coaches. I mean, I remember the 88-89 set had Mike Keenan and, and the two assistant coaches at the time, EJ McGuire and um, Jacques Martin. Yeah. The three balding middle-aged men with mustaches and black suits. I mean, they they looked, all they needed were like sunglasses and they would have looked like the agents from the Matrix. You know what I mean? Like yeah. they made cards of those guys and be like, oh yay, a Mike Keenan card. Just what every kid didn't want. I think if it was a Pat Foley card, then it would have been something we would have gotten signed at like one of the Skate with the Hawk events or later on one of the Blackhawk conventions, right? But yeah, no, never included in any of the team sets. Go figure. 
Huh. See, I felt I felt the same way when Mike Lang retired, but he had only been doing radio broadcasts for for years since then. He hadn't been on TV right. really as TV announcer for a long time, and he was replaced by Josh Getzoff, who came from uh, I think he's from Illinois, actually, mm-hmm. um, like Champaign or something like that. He got his start okay. and worked his way up through there. But I know on T on the TV side, Paul Staggerwald when he stepped down from doing the TV broadcast, Steve Mears took over and mm-hmm. Mearsy, as everybody calls him, he's actually mm-hmm. from the Pittsburgh area. He's got roots in that area. And so you get a little more of that excitement come out of his voice when he's doing the announcement because it's, he's a Homer kind of, cause he's from there. So, mm-hmm. so you get a little bit of that across the board, but I wish I could somehow figure out how to sync up the TV to the radio. Cause I'd much rather hear the radio announcers Versus the TV announcers most of the time. No offense to Bob Erie, but I'd rather he'll hear Phil Bork on the Penguins calls, but that's just me. You want to talk about the Professional Women's Hockey Players Association? Sure. I try not to trip over that abbreviation. P-W-H-P-A. Yes. So they're going to start their own league because they can't work out something with the PHF, the Premier Hockey Federation, which is the current women's league that used to be known as the Canadian Women's Hockey League. So we're going to have two women's leagues next year, and they're going to be overlapping some of the months that they both play. I don't know how I feel about this. As far as... Well, existing or as far as being able this, to pallet two leagues that are sort of competing against each other? Here's the thing. It's such a small market right now. It's kind of like when the XFL and the USFL announced that they were both coming back and then you had the AAF. You had all these upstart football leagues happening around the same time. And it's like, whoa, 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 buddy there, slow down. You should all be working together instead of everybody doing their own, oh, we're going to have eight teams and we're going to play eight games. And no. That reminds me, the USFL debuted this weekend. In the first game, the crowd looked pretty full. Every other game, the two yesterday and the one tonight, oh my gosh, there's no one in the crowd. Wow. They're playing all their games in Birmingham rather than the the locations for the teams. Yeah, all the games are being held at one stadium. And there's no one there. Well, you know, everybody wants to be there for the first game, and then after that... It's going to come to the same fate as all those other leagues did. It's going to fold, and it'll be gone, and that'll be the end of it. And, yeah, I hate to make that parallel to this, but... You're trying to expand the women's game and you're trying to get more people interested in the women's game. And yet you have these two organizations that decide, well, the one decide that they're not going to affiliate with the other and they cause a split down the middle. You're going to have the players in the one league. You're going to have the players in the other league. And it's going to be like, we want people to watch. So here's more of it. But do you need more of it? Or do you need a collective united front to push the product forward in a stronger position let me ask you something i understand what you're saying is the professional women hockey players association is this new league going to have some you say here with backing by the nhl Mm -hmm. so they're going to be backed by the nhl 
That's apparently the plan. There's already a bunch of teams that have, I guess, made it known that that they will put support in to their local, whatever their local team is that's created. Good, because the one thing I wanted to say is that and not that the PHF doesn't get support either, because they do they do as well. Right. So obviously the NHL doesn't need to pump billions of dollars into a women's hockey league. However, the problem that I have with the NHL doing all of this hockey is for everybody and girls can play too. And, and look at Cami Granado. She's the assistant GM of the Kraken, right? They want to tout that, like, we like women, we support women and, and, and this and that. And then it's like, then there's like women's hockey. And then like the NHL doesn't really, you know, oh, wait, now you want us to open up our pocketbooks and, you know, then they're, then they're kind of quiet. You know what I mean? They're going to point out like, oh, look, there's a women referee in the AHL. Yay. Right. But then when it comes to like, okay, here's this women's hockey league and it really needs support. I feel like the NHL really just kind of does like a token amount of support. They need to be putting money into this. They need to be seeing it as a growth opportunity for the NHL brand and for the sport. Absolutely I don't agree. know. Huh? I said absolutely agree. Now, I don't quite understand the workings between the NBA and the WNBA. And I think we talked about this before, but I think that like a good hockey league for women, like a, a successful league, six teams, go with your biggest cities or some of your bigger cities, and you have to have support by those NHL teams. You know, so if you have a team in Toronto, the Maple Leafs need to be involved somehow, you know. And so, yeah. I want to see women's hockey grow, of course. I want more hockey on TV. I know that's crazy because I can't even watch all the games that are on. But I want more choices. Then at the same time, I'm guilty of not watching any of the PHF games because they've been streamed, and I just didn't think about it. And if I thought about it, you know, I'd say, oh, yeah, that's on tomorrow. I should watch that. But then I just never do. So, I mean, I'm a little guilty of not being more supportive of it. I did buy some PHF hockey cards. You know, the digital cards. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like it should be one league instead of two. I feel like when you have two leagues, you're going to split people's attention, going to split their loyalties, and you're going to split their dollars, and that's going to hurt both of them. I completely agree. From a fan standpoint, that's exactly it. You make the football comparison like we started off making, I think that's exactly it. You want to grow the sport, you want to make it bigger, you got to somehow come up with a united front to push the product and make it stronger. And you know, having two different leagues, and we might see that the one league is a better product than the other. Okay, but you still have competing organizations. You know, you got six teams in one league. You got a plan for six teams in the other league. Well, this league's going to be paid more than this league. Well, then all the players from this league are going to want to play in this league because they're going to make more money. Well, now what happens here if a bunch of those players jump ship? Now what? Does this become like the farm organization for this? That may very well be going forward, but there needs to be some kind of plan. And the fact that the NHL, the PHF, and the PWHPA all met together to discuss what their plans were moving forward, and then just the announcement came that there wasn't going to be any collaboration between the two groups, it just makes me wonder what's going to happen to this whole thing. I mean, you said you bought some hockey cards. Well, Upper Deck announced that whole deal with PHF going forward to make hockey cards. Well, what happens if this other organization comes out 
and it gets full support from the NHL. The NHL has the contract with Upper Deck to produce cards. So do they mm-hmm. cease making cards for this other group <laughs> because they have a license to do NHL and this would be an NHL sponsored? I don't know. I guess if the NHL wanted hockey cards of this new women's hockey league to be made, then yeah. But then again, OPG made cards for both the NHL and the WHA back in the 70s. So stranger things have happened. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see what develops going forward. I know this is in its infancy as far as the announcement and everything goes. I think it was like Jeff Merrick broke this. Yes. Broke this news. So it'll be interesting to see how it develops. I know they just basically said what the salary structure was going to be, that there's going to be six teams and all signs point to them being pretty much all on the East Coast. So, which again, direct competition with the PHF. So. Yeah. How about like a team in Chicago, a team in St. Louis, a team in Los Angeles, a team in, I don't know, Vancouver. I mean, just. Well, that's the other thing, too, is you got to look at expenses, especially for travel. Yeah. So if you root all your teams mainly in the same general area and there's only a few hour travel time between the locations, you don't have to deal with the expenses of travel. If you've got a team in Vancouver and a team in Florida and a team in New York, you know, you're flying to the four corners of the earth trying to get players from one place to the other. That's fine when you got an NHL team that's making billions. Right. But when you have a team that's total salary cap is $750,000, probably is not in the budget for that. But like I said, we'll see. It's still in its infant stages, but I'm all for it if it works. Absolutely. So, you mentioned to me that, so today, the day that we're recording this uh, is the 23rd anniversary of Wayne Gretzky's last game. So April 18th, yeah. 1999, Wayne Gretzky's last game. I wish I could say I could remember it like yesterday, but I can't because that was a long time ago and I'm getting up there in years. It was half a lifetime ago for me because 99, I was 24 years old. I did watch that game. I made a point to watch it. I have it on a VHS tape somewhere. I was in college at the time. My roommates humored me by letting me watch hockey. I'm surprised. <laughs> I'm surprised. Like, I guess it rubbed off in a good way because, like, my uh, one of my, my very best friends, he and his wife go to Kings games. I think they used to have season tickets, but they go to a lot of Kings games. And I said to her, I said, oh, when did you become a hockey fan? And she said to me, it was in college. She said, you used to organize our little group outings to Chicago Wolves games. And she's like, that's how I got into hockey. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. I made you a hockey fan. I didn't even realize that, right? But like me and my roommates, we'd sneak down. This is at the dormitories. We'd sneak down into the basement and we'd play floor hockey at like two in the morning in like the weight room. We would just move the stuff around and play floor hockey. But I'd always bogart the TV with like a hockey game. I'd be like, no, I gotta watch this game. It's Gretzky's last game. Or they'd be like, why the hell are you up at, you know, two in the morning watching hockey? And he'd be like, well, this is the Czech Republic and this is the gold medal game in the Olympics, right? Or like, I remember like one time, like the TV in our living room wasn't getting a certain channel. So I remember watching the uh, Devils and the Avalanche in the 2001 finals, I was like in my, one of my roommates, I was in his bedroom 
watching his TV, watching Ray Bork lift the cup, right? Because the TV in the living room wasn't getting good reception. So I was always kind of like hoarding the TV to watch hockey. And I remember watching that game. And I remember at the end of the game, my roommate wanted to like play video games or something. And he looked at me and he said, how many freaking laps is Gretzky going to make around the ice? Just go away. Because Wayne's skating around and he's waving to the crowd and they immortalized that in McFarland hockey figure, which is a great looking figure, by the way. But it's Wayne, you know, skating around, waving to the crowd. And he's just like, how long is he going to do this for? Yeah, I remember watching the game. I know it was on Fox. Okay. And, you know, because, of course, they were playing the Penguins. Yep. The Penguins won two to one in overtime. And Gretzky didn't score. We had an assist. And he wasn't even out on the ice when the game ended, if I remember correctly. He was on the bench. Wow. So, but other than that, you know, it was a good game because the Penguins won. (laughs) But, yeah, I mean, it seems like it was longer to go than, than it actually was for me. I do remember, you know, most of the time those games, when they would end, they were done. There wasn't a whole lot of after-the-game stuff nope. or things that going on after because they would either switch to the next game that was going to be on or your local news program or whatever was supposed to be on next on the channels. And I remember this one stayed on longer because they showed the ceremony afterward with Gretz coming out onto the ice like three or four different times and waving to the crowd and stuff like that. And I remember that's probably the only time that I can recall the fans actually cheering for Gary Bettman when he made the announcement that number 99 was going to be retired league wide. So yeah, that's probably his one and only standing ovation that he ever received as commissioner of the NHL. Right. Although I think everybody in Nashville should give him a standing O because he allowed Nashville to get an expansion team. So I think Minnesota, Columbus, Nashville, Seattle, Las Vegas, and hell, I mean, I'll even throw Arizona, Phoenix in there because he allows them to stay in that region, even though I think that little experiment is... uh, He took over what, in 92? Batman took over in... 93? Early 93. So 93, okay. So Winnipeg already moved to Phoenix, right? Winnipeg didn't move until 96, 97. Really? It was that later? Yeah. So 95, 96, the Nordiques moved to Colorado. 96, 97, the Jets moved to Phoenix. And 97. You know what? I'm thinking of the North Stars moving to Dallas. That was 93, wasn't it? That was 93, 94. Okay. Yeah. He wasn't in charge yet for that, was he? He was. He was. So basically every team that's been moved or relocated has been under his regime. Right, yeah, pretty much. And he oversaw, what, three strikes? Two strikes and a lockout? Two lockouts and a strike? Something like that. 94, 04, and fall of 2012. Yeah. So three lockouts, yes. Yeah. The only but time anyway. I've ever seen people cheer for him that game. When, when he said that Gretzky's number was going to be retired league-wide, as it should yeah. be. Heck, I don't even think people should wear, in, in rec league, 
I remember when I when I was the captain of a of a rec league hockey team. We were a new team, and so I'm emailing my guys. I said, "All right, I'm getting us jerseys. Tell me what size you are, what number you want." And then I said, "No zero, double zero, sixty nine, or ninety nine, because you can't have zero or double zero because the bench miner gets entered as a zero, so that messes up with the timekeepers." And then I think, I don't want to be the guy that has a teammate that wears number 69. I just don't want to have that guy on my team. And I don't want to have the guy on my team that wears number 99. Because if you're playing in a rec league hockey team, you should not be wearing 99. What, what if, like, the guy's a big uh, Jordy Mercer fan in baseball and has to wear 69? Uh, no, but that? if he was an Aaron Judge fan and wanted to wear 99, then I'd be okay with it. Oh, okay. Or Dan Hampton of the Chicago Bears, Pro Football Hall of Fame member. Not the only football player to wear 99, but just the one that I'm the most fond of. You know, one other thing I want to just mention is, like, hockey just seemed to be in this really weird place between Gretzky retiring and Lemieux making his comeback. And I know it was only, like, a season and a half, but, like... The NHL, I mean, you had Lindros and you had Yager. I don't feel like the NHL had a marquee player. Like in the 80s, you could look and you could say it was Gretzky. In the 90s, you could look and say it was Gretzky or it was Lemieux. It was Lemieux, unless Lemieux was injured. Then it was Gretzky. You know what I mean? It was was like you could point to somebody and say, there's our guy, right? And I feel that after Gretzky retired, and this was after Lemieux retired, it just seemed like the NHL didn't really have anybody. I mean, they did. They had good players. They had great players. But then it's like Lemieux made his comeback. And it's like, okay, here's here's our living legend. He's back, right? And then as he was winding down, then it was Crosby and Ovechkin. And then, and then we had, like, new players to get excited about that were, like, legends in, in their own time, right? Do you, do you kind of agree with that assessment a little bit? I mean, pretty much Yager was the guy. I, I mean, Yager was the default. guy, but... Yager was the guy because he was good. Because I mean, you look at all those trophies for goal scoring and points leaders and everything else, and you got three guys on the list. It's Gretzky, Lemieux, or Yager. Right. I mean, those are the three that you're going to see year in and year out almost every single year from 1980-whatever until you know the late 90s. Right. And Yager was the guy. The problem is Yager – still to this day speaks broken English, mm-hmm. even though he's good, even though he's a superstar, even though he dazzles on the ice, he wasn't that marketable type guy to everybody. Right. That's for that was part of the problem. You couldn't really build a brand around him. So yeah. Was there a power vacuum there? Yeah. I could, I could kind of see that. It's like, who do you put as the face of the organization? You know, if Gretzky's not there, well, you give it to Lemieux. Well, guess what? He's not there either. So now who do you give it to? Is Steve Eiserman the face of the league? I suppose he could have been, but again, he's on Detroit. So Messier was in Vancouver at that time. Yeah, so you got Messier, but you know, people remembered Messier because they remembered Gretzky. Oh yeah, that's the guy that Gretzky played with. So yeah, I could see the point being made that there was kind of that power vacuum as to who was who was the face of the of hockey at that mm-hmm. point in time. It was still an excellent product to watch. Let's put well, but no, because then I was, I mean, but no, but no, I'm going to just say no to what you said yes to. 
that was the height of your dead puck era then, right? And that's when you had like your all-time lowest scores, right? You know, when Dominic Hasek was posting like sub two as a goals allowed average. I mean, he did that in the I night. like defense and I like goaltenders. So okay. that's good for me. I like that kind of stuff. And plus, in the early days, at least the early, the late '90s, early 2000s, with the exception of very few years, the Penguins weren't that good. They weren't that good at all, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was mm-hmm. it was kind of rough to watch. Um, those are some dark years, but it, it led to high draft picks, and it led to being able to bring in guys like Mark Andre Fleury, and eventually your Crosby's and Malkins, and and those types of players, but. You had to have the bad seasons in order to get to the good seasons, but not to say that they weren't fun to watch, especially in the early 2000s. Penguins were a fun team to watch, but they didn't win very much. Right. (laughs) They were just entertaining. Yeah, I I mean, I could see your point to some of that. So let's talk some hockey card stuff before we wrap it up. There wasn't really a lot going on this past week. So we had the 2122 NHL star rookie box set came out 25 bucks a set. That's $5 higher than last year. Last year I remember buying one at Target for 19.99. Now they're 24.99. Boo! Inflation, $5. What else? 2122 President's Choice Stick Rack update set is out. It's about $200 a box. Coming up, we have, oh yeah, Upper Deck Series 1 Retail Tins. Now, these are enticing to me because a tin is 8 packs, 30 bucks. I like that price. You get two Young Guns per tin. You get an OPG Glossy Rookie Pack. I bought a lot of tins last year. Didn't pull a Kirill Caprice off in any of my Series 2 tins. And I think I bought like, I bought an obscene amount of Series 2 tins last year. I think about like eight of them, honestly. I think that's what I did. Um, you know what's funny? I uh, didn't buy any Series 2 last year. Okay. Not one box, not one pack, not a card. So, probably better off for it, you know? So I have my Series 1 being built. I had my Extended being built, and I didn't buy any Series 2. So like my list of Series 2 cards I need is all of them. All of them. <laughs> so what I, what I like about these tins or actually what I don't like about blaster boxes is that blaster boxes have six packs. So you get one or maybe two young guns. The mega boxes, which have 10 packs and cost $40, you get two or maybe three young guns. I got three young guns in quite a few of my mega boxes, but some of them had two, but you're paying 40 bucks to get two young guns. At least with the tins, you're paying 30 bucks to get two young guns, you know, you're getting eight packs, so you're going to get two young guns, and then you're going to get that bonus OPG glossy pack, which I think is kind of enticing. I mean, those cards are kind of hit or miss if it's the right player. You know, if it's the right player, then it's a good card, and if it's not the right player, then it's not a good card. You know what I mean? So I like that. Let's see what else is coming out. Oh, yeah, Upper Deck CHL is coming out, and then they've already started announcing 22-23 cards, which is funny because it's like, we still are waiting on 2021 the cup. We don't have all the 2021 products out and cuz one just came out. We talked about it last week with Ultimate. Yep. That's a 2021 product. Uh so was Premier. 2022-23 MVP. And I think you were telling me earlier that they uh 
rolled out at least a sell sheet for what series one's going to look like for next mm-hmm. year yeah so you already have them talking about all of those products and we're, we're still waiting for products for this year let alone some from last year still I, I did find it interesting that every other set that's on the docket for the most part the dates that are previous announced have all been deleted off of most people's sell sell lists for release dates so i don't know what that means because there were dates for things like upper deck extended and so forth now there aren't so i'm not sure what that really means and i almost started thinking even though they released some preview images and things for series two Mm -hmm. i'm almost starting to think that what if they only release extended what if they just say here's series one and here's extended so here's the first half and then here's the rest and we never get series two what do you think I think I had a dream about that once. Only if they like don't renumber the cards, so we have cards one through two fifty, and then cards five hundred one through seven thirty. Then it'd be funny. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, like, it's just going to be the lost set that never happened, and then one day down the road, ten, fifteen, twenty years from now, whatever shipping container that's off the west coast has those in it, just mysteriously appears. Hmm. And people open it up, and it's stacked to the rafters with pallets of Upper Deck Series 2. But, of course, the Upper Deck wouldn't be able to sell them anymore because by then the license would have gone to Fanatics. So then what would happen is they'd have to sell those at closeout outlets like dollar stores. So then all of a sudden, guys like you and me would be going to Dollar General trying to find Upper Deck Series 2 hockey. Or they just take them all and sink them into the Hudson Bay. Mm, like 52 no. tops baseball series four yeah so you could um i guess make a case for that i don't know people will keep asking when series two coming out when series two i don't know I, where's I my mini I spy an camera where's my mini spy camera where's my mini spy camera i wish i had an answer i don't even think upper deck has an answer to be honest with you maybe they do they just aren't going to tell anybody because they want it to be a surprise but i thought by now we would have had it i was kind of assuming that they, they would piggyback one onto two or two onto one i guess but they should have come out quicker and it, yeah. it's not happening yeah it's not happening and i don't know whatever but as far as new stuff that's out there right now you know that's kind of what you got ultimate just came out premiere came out if you're a high roller and you want to dump the money into that feel free those of you that watch nhl network if you had a chance on uh Monday night to take a gander at NHL tonight. You'll saw they opened a box of premiere live on TV. And much to my joy, it was not a stuffed box. Every card wasn't an Ovechkin rookie patch auto. In fact, I don't think any of the cards in the entire box were worth the price of the box. But that being said, it at least shows you that that product's tough. (laughs) It's, It's a rough rough product so i loved watching them try to explain hockey cards like it was like if your grandparents were trying to explain to somebody what a lolcat was or what tiktok was this was like the nhl network hosts and i love dave reed don't get me wrong because he's he used to collect hockey cards when he was in the minor leagues he taught he told stories about he He'd go into a card shop and he was making AHL money, which was, you know, better than a working wage. And he'd walk into a card shop and he'd buy all up all their hockey cards because, you know, 
he still loved collecting even when he was a player. But I mean, they're just like, oh my God, it has a piece of jersey in it. Oh wow, is that a real piece of jersey? Oh wow, this piece of jersey even has some stitches on it. I mean, it's just, it's like, they need like me or Tim to be on that show to like set them up. Like they need to be like, okay guys, we're gonna look at this set of cards and you need to know a few things. First of all, cards are printed in color on both sides now. Don't go bother looking for the stats because there ain't any. Oh, yeah, and that, no, 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 that's not a smudge. That's the autograph. Yes, that's what autographs look like now. It's just a little squiggle. Yeah, you know, if you kind of squint, you can kind of make out AO for Alex Ovechkin. But no, that's not what Brian Lawton's autograph looks like. They need, like, us to, like, basically explain to them how hockey cards have changed. Because I feel like it's always the same conversation with them. Like, oh, look, this one's got a piece of jersey on it. Like, how many times can they be surprised by that? Yeah, I mean, nowadays, collectors get a jersey card, and it immediately goes into the quarter box. Let's be honest. Jerseys are everywhere. They're not as premium as they used to be. I know this year's Upper Deck brought back the retro jerseys from the very first release and some of those are getting a huge premium uh, on secondary market i mean nostalgia is a powerful drug uh, i think it's short printed but the last few crosby's i've seen sold have been in the hundreds of dollars and i'm like wow 100 bucks 200 bucks 300 bucks for a plain white swatch it blows my mind i can't even remember the last Oh, wait, no, I can. Never mind. I, I'm gonna, I, I caught myself in a lie. I was going to say, I can't remember the last good jersey card I got, but I can. It was from 1011 Artifacts. It was a Crosby Ovechkin dual patch card, numbered out of 40. And that's probably the best jersey card I'll ever get. That would a- certainly be nice. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's some stuff. There's some nicely designed jersey cards out there, but the act of putting a jersey in a card now has become so passe. Yes, I don't want to say it's as throwaway as base cards have become, but it's almost to that point. Almost to that point. Especially now, the fact that you can go to sh- no, go Kevin ahead. Fiala or uh, who's my boy from uh, Florida. Mark Parrish. Mark Parrish. Yeah, I scrubbed his name from my memory. Mark Parrish or Kevin Fiala or the, I think the funniest one was I thought that I got Matt Sundin and I got so excited. And I looked again, and it was Matt Stajan. And I'm like, who the hell is Matt Stajan? Yeah. You look, and you just you see Matt, and then you see an S, and you think it's Matt Sundin, and you see the Maple Leafs, and you're like, oh, this is awesome. I got a Matt Sundin jersey card. And you look again, and you're like, Matt Stajan? What? That must have been early in his career then. 06, 07. Yeah. It was right, um, right around the time I was, like, buying everything and, and getting back into really heavily into collecting. Yeah, it's, I mean, like I said, it's gotten to that point, even with autographs now, you know, sticking autographs and products has gotten to the point where it's like, who are we going to have sign autographs? Well, everybody, we're going to put it in and it's going to be a hit. So as the card that they pulled, the one they were gushing over, the Liam Foodie card, I'm like, really? I mean, I'm not digging on the or dissing on the players per se. It's just these aren't the cards you want, right? Right. They're not what you're looking for. People throw the return on investment around too much. But when you're buying a product like this, it's hit or miss. 
you know, you're right. spending three, 400 bucks a card. If you're paying more than 50 bucks a card for your box, you got to figure you should at least be able to, at least theoretically in your mind, based off of what the value is, recoup half your box, I would think. Yeah, well. I Not mean, every box is going to be a winner. I get that. But to get skunked on all five cards or all six cards and have them all be rookies from a product that was delayed a year that comes out and those rookies aren't even in the league anymore already or players that are like third or fourth line guys that right. if you're a player collector or you're a team collector great generally if you're a player or team collector you're not buying these products and you're buying these to chase the hits and if you're looking for the hits you're certainly not going to make your money back with uh, who was the other one they pulled? The uh, the Vegas Quinny. Oh yeah, Gage, yeah, Gage yeah. Quinney. You know they got. You can make your money back on that. They got a little too excited about pulling a Gage Quinny autograph card. I mean, look, I like getting autograph cards, but yeah, nothing against they were the just guy. Like, oh my god, it has an autograph, but oh, it's Gage Quinny, and I'm like, come on, guys. Yeah, I we're mean, gonna post a link to the video because it, it's worth watching. They were bringing the excitement for sure, so. Let's just say if you buy a product like that and get skunked, I hope you're as happy as they were. Right. Yeah, because they were they were pretty happy. <laughs> I will definitely not be buying the product, although it was offered to me at a pretty hefty discount. I still mm -hmm. just not doing it. It's not something I want to throw my money at. That's for sure, especially for something like that when I could be saving my money for an infinite amount of time waiting for Series 2 to come out. Yeah, well, by the time Series 2 comes out, all those guys will have changed teams again, you know, in the free agent market. So, and then when Series 3 comes out, then it's going to be like November of 2022. I mean, it's just, yeah. You're not, it's, you're not necessarily wrong. No, I'm so, exaggerating, but it's it's still do, kind do, of funny. Do we want to put bets when we get our first Kraken card? It's going to be in, in Series 2. Card? You think it is going to be in Series 2? got to be in series two i don't think it's gonna be they'll have something you think yeah why wouldn't they because, uh, because they're gonna use photos from the beginning of the season which was october november december so they will have some cracking cards in this set that's coming out next october november or december but series one rolled out with with cracking players that aren't in cracking jerseys nor did they have the time to print now with the Kraken or anything like that. Yeah, they never do that, and that's okay. But I'm saying, here's an inaugural team. Here's your chance to jump on it, and they didn't. Considering the debacle for 2021, for 2021-22, I feel like they might have rushed the product out even quicker as far as the design and everything goes. So the checklist may have already been done long before they had the photos ready to go. Mm -hmm. I'm hoping you're right. I don't know. You know who else is hoping you're right? Marshawn Lynch. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the new minority owner of the Kraken who took his company vehicle out for a spin. Did you see that video? No, not yet. Oh, yeah. Marshawn Lynch jumped on the Zamboni and was doing donuts in the middle of the ice. Nice. It's pretty cool. All right. Well, anything else you want to say before we wrap this one up? Look, if we had more things to talk about hockey-wise as far as cards go, we could probably talk for hours and hours and hours. But really, there just isn't anything to discuss at this point. There's not a whole lot of new product out there. 
there's definitely not a whole lot of compelling product out there. We used to do the top stickers report every week and, you know, what was going down on EPAC every week. Well, guess what? There really isn't any of that either. Right. Heck, I don't know if you've been on EPAC lately, but the only things you can even buy on there are extended from last year, MVP from this year, and a couple old compendium and Parkhurst packs from three years ago, even longer for compendium. That's it. Unless you want some grandeur coins. That's the only hockey that's out there right now. Because every week, game-dated moments are sold out in every 10 minutes. They hit, 10 minutes later, gone. So there's really not a whole lot going on as far as new hockey goes, other than the things that we've mentioned and, and discussed. So hopefully we start getting stuff soon so we can we can have more, uh, at least new product content. Maybe we'll have to dig up an old set. Yeah, we got to get back on the old sets. So we'll definitely do that soon. Start brainstorming some things. Definitely. And if you guys ever have a topic you want to hear us talk about, you know, reach out to us on Twitter. I'm at Puck Junk. Tim is at The Real DFG. Or post a comment on the blog post that this podcast resides on. Or just you could email us, whatever. Just find us, let us know, hey, you guys should talk about this. Also, before I wrap it up, I just want to mention that I'm going to be doing a couple of card shows coming up in May. So if you're in the Chicagoland area or Milwaukee area. I've got two shows coming up. One is May 7th in Oak Creek, Wisconsin. The other one is going to be May 8th in Schaumburg, Illinois. I have links to those on my website. If you go to puckjunk.com and on the homepage, look over to the right, you'll see where it says upcoming card shows. And then I got dates and links to more information about shows that I will be selling at. So um, call it a wrap. Call it a wrap. All right, game, set, and point. Thank you for listening to the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. As always, if you've enjoyed the show, please be sure to like and subscribe. Hey, you got a minute? Write us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd love to hear that we're doing a great job. Write a little bit about us so other people know, hey, this is a good show. Maybe we should check it out. And until next time, collect what you like. For more hockey goodness, follow us on Twitter at PuckJunk.